Hey everyone, it's Maurice. Before we start the show, I want to thank you all for listening and for your support, especially our Patreon members. If you're not a member of our Patreon page yet, check it out at patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you get an ad-free version of this episode. You get access to behind-the-scenes clips and videos, information on upcoming articles and reviews, and so much more. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path. All right, let's get on with the show. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design works on an enormous and diverse range of interesting problems. So I asked product designer Nicholas Inzuki what's his biggest challenge with designing for Facebook, and here's what he said. So for me, I think the, the biggest challenge is that you never know how a product's going to work until it goes out into the world. We're designing for so many different types of people, so many different audiences, that design is really a process of putting things out, seeing how it's used, and then iterating on it. Um, so it's hard to know whether or not something's going to work until you test it, get data, and see if that's successful. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Buffer is looking for a senior marketing designer for a remote position. And General Design Co. in Washington, D.C. is looking for a graphic designer. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I wanted to talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Whether it's beautiful digital art, handy tools to help you do your work, or a website for your project or your cause, you'll find things on Glitch that remind us the web can still be a fun, creative place full of unexpected surprises. Get started today at Glitch.com. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's leading marketing platform for small businesses. Millions of people and businesses around the world trust MailChimp to publish the right content to the right person at the right place at the right time. Build your brand, sell more stuff, find your people, and tell the world your story. Sign up for a free account today and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. We've got another new review here from Apple Podcasts. Uh, this one comes from Molly G. I hope I'm, I'm saying that right. M-A-A-L-L-Y. Molly G. 
Uh, the title of this review is Awesome Show, uh, and here's the review. I can't believe this flew under my radar for so long. Great conversation by Black Creatives. Highly recommended. Molly G, thank you so much for that wonderful review, that five-star review. Love reading five-star reviews. We get some, some four-star reviews here and there, but five-star reviews, of course, are the best. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the show. You've got a ton of episodes to catch up on. <laughs> now for this week's interview. We're ending out HBCU month and celebrating World Interaction Design Day with this week's guest, Marcus Mosby, a senior interaction designer at Fjord in Austin, Texas. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. Hi. So um, I'm Marcus Mosby. I'm a senior interaction designer um, at Fjord. So ultimately what I do is understand interaction patterns, understand how users and clients like to interact with digital products. And I come up with design solutions to, to address any concerns or problems that they have with their current solutions. Now, for those that might be listening who are not super familiar with interaction design or not familiar with it at all, can you kind of give a bit of a definition as to what it is and what, I mean, you kind of explain what you do, but what do interaction designers in general kind of do? Right. So I would say interaction designers in general, they design interactive digital products. And so this can be, you know, websites, this can be different types of services, this can be an app, but ultimately they're they're familiar with the design patterns of how users would like to interact with products, with digital products and experiences. And what they're tasked at doing is pretty much designing these experiences for the best user interaction so that the user can accomplish any task that they have so that they can get access to any information that they need in an easy fashion. So it kind of sounds a little bit like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, a little bit like UX in a way. Definitely, definitely. So interaction design and UX are completely similar. I think a lot of companies have ways of of classifying user experience designers. And so some companies will, will split visual design into a separate track. And some companies will split content design into a separate section or the user research into a separate section. And then some companies will just call one person, a user experience designer, and then they do some of the interaction, they do some of the visual, they do some of the research. And so I, I find that it really varies depending on which company you're working for, what specifically your responsibilities are, but they're definitely all a part of the same family. And so what kind of tools are you using as an interaction designer? Because I'm guessing it's not wholly visual. Right. So there's a ton of tools. So ultimately, there's a lot of whiteboarding and just, you know, brainstorming and understanding. So <laughs> your hand markers, you know, brainstorming, things of that nature. And then, of course, there's a lot of digital tools and platforms that we use. So for the research side, sometimes Optimal Workshop is something that we use. And, and that's something you can use online, a digital platform to help with research and remote testing of users. Sometimes we use Sketch to create wireframes, which is ultimately just a pretty much skeleton of, of what a system could look like based on what we've determined the user's looking for. We use a lot of Adobe tools. So Photoshop is used a lot sometimes. There's, there's just a ton of different tools. The entire CS suite has, has been really useful in my work. But there's a ton of different tools that, that we use. But ultimately, we're using all of those tools to gather ideas, to research, to brainstorm and, and share out information with ourselves or between ourselves and our client. And then also to uh, deliver different 
experiences that we think would be great for the user. And like I said, this could be through wireframes or prototypes or things like that. Nice. So for the designers that are out there who might be interested in this, what should they consider when designing for interaction? Are there certain kind of affordances they should know about? Yeah. So I would say the most important thing is really being able to understand the user. And so I found in, in my career that understanding the user is, is really the heart of, of user experience design. And so no matter what you're doing in this, in this realm of work, being able to understand the user, being able to, to talk to them and, and understand, you know, how are they using certain tools and systems? How do they want to use them? What types of things do they like about their current experience? What types of things are they looking to improve? Just really being able to kind of ask those types of questions and really get an understanding of what is happening in their current environment. Mm-hmm. And then being able to take all of that information and very quickly generate a lot of ideas that, that could potentially help them in that environment. That, I think, is, is the thing that's most important when you're performing interaction design tasks. Yeah, it's good to know that there's a lot of testing that's involved. I would imagine if you're doing this maybe in conjunction with developers, with visual designers, it just kind of helps out to do a lot of that testing and stuff before they can really get in there and start building something. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, the testing never really stops. I mean, and it shouldn't stop. I always have heard you should test often (laughs) and always. And that's something that that we definitely try to do. So ultimately, you want to come up with your initial ideas. You want to test those ideas with the user. You want to see how they respond to those ideas. Do these ideas really help them in what they're doing? Did we hit the right mark? Are there slight things we can improve and update to make sure that this is even more effective for the user? So those are the types of things and questions that we're asking as we're going through the design process. And then even after, you know, visual design gets their hands on things and they make improvements and help us tell that story that we're trying to tell through the experience. And even when developers get their hands on it and they start to create prototypes and and things that users can actually touch and feel, it's really important to put that out in front of users to make sure that everything is still in alignment and that the tool and experience is still addressing all of the concerns that you set out to address. Now, when did you first get into interaction design? It sounds like this is something that is maybe fairly new, but like you said, different companies call it different things. When did you first get into this? Wow. So <laughs> I would say interaction design really found me. So now you can go to college and you can you know, major in user experience design. You can take all of these interaction design courses. And when I was in college, that really wasn't the case. I mean, you had computer science. You had some schools had what they would call, you know, information systems. And ultimately, there were a lot of human computer interaction courses. And that's kind of how I started opening the door to interaction design, just understanding how humans interact with digital things, how they interact with computers, and what types of things you should take into consideration when designing for that. It kind of found me. My first job in high school was actually at Chuck E. Cheese. And I was a cashier (laughs) for a very long time at Chuck E. Cheese. And, you know, it was interesting for me because while we were using systems to ring up customers, we would have, I mean, it's a very popular place. So we would have a huge line of people and the system just didn't really seem to to be the best for the environment we were in. I mean, because we would have these long lines and the system seemed very complex and and the cash register to to ring someone up, it, the process just seemed really long. And so even in high school, I started wondering, 
hey, you know, why does this work this way? And, and how does this get designed? And, you know, I had a little bit, um, I went to Hightower High School in Houston, in Missouri City, near Houston. And so ultimately, we had the opportunity, I was in an information technology academy. And so there was a couple of classes I had taken on coding and just kind of understanding, you know, how to create things like I was actually using at Chuck E. Cheese. I was like, well, you know, where's the part of this where I understand how to make this better for the people that are actually using it? And so I think from that experience, I really started thinking about the user long before I think people were even really using the term user experience designer or before I even knew what it was. And then when I went into study at college, ultimately with computer science and with taking the human computer interaction courses, I really started to gain an appreciation for that side of things and, and wanted to explore it more. And through a number of things, through learning on my own, through going to Nielsen Norman Group Usability Week, through all of those things, I was really able to kind of sharpen my toolkit on, on user experience design. And, and that's ultimately how I got into interaction design. Yeah, it sounds like you, you really kind of nurtured a passion for this from a, a fairly early age. I mean, learning about this in high school is something that I wouldn't have expected to hear. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, I was really fortunate to be able to to be in an environment where, you know, I had access to to understanding code at a really early age and, and understanding what types of problem spaces existed and what types of things people were solving. And then as I started learning that information, you know, I would go out into the world and I would see things like I would see self-checkout machines or I would see ATM machines and, and you know, I would press the buttons to try to withdraw money or to check myself out at, at the grocery store. And I just started realizing this is an entire ecosystem. Like all of these things are connected through design ultimately. And, and that's something that, that I found really interesting and really exciting. Now, this is HBCU month here at Revision Path. Can you tell us where you went to school? Yes. So I attended Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. What was your time like at Clark Atlanta? I didn't know that they even had this kind of program there. I know Clark is kind of, I don't know, I feel like they were mostly known for being more of a communications and media sort of school. I don't oh, know. Yeah, maybe we, this was back in the day when I went, but go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Com <laughs> computer science is definitely a smaller program at Clark Atlanta. I mean, I think oftentimes people think of us as more of a business-focused school or, or media, as you said, because we do have a lot of notable alumni from those departments. But ultimately, I, I decided on Clark Atlanta University. While I was in high school, I applied to a number of schools. I'm from Houston, Texas, so I applied to a number of schools in Texas, maybe four. And I was in the top 10% of my class in high school, so I got into every school I applied to, and I had scholarship opportunities at a lot of them as well. But Clark Atlanta University was the only school I applied to out of state. My parents had a rule and they said, if you want to leave the state, you're going to have to get a scholarship. And that's the only way you're going to school out of state. And so it's kind of funny because all of my siblings, I'm the oldest of three, and we all went to HBCUs. We all got scholarships and we all left Texas for college. Nice. So I, I think we really wanted our independence and we really wanted to just blaze our own trails to affect change. And so Clark Atlanta was was great, I mean, for computer science, because it was a very small department, um, which means that all of my instructors really knew me. They really knew what I was capable of doing. They really knew how to push me into into more. <laughs> and that's 
ultimately what happened. I mean, because it was such a such a small department, everyone knew everyone. We were able to really help each other and work with each other and collaborate in ways that that I don't imagine I would have been able to had I went to another university. And because of that, I feel like there were a lot of opportunities that I got that that helped me out along my path in my career and and along the way. And you got your undergrad and your graduate degree at Clark. Is that right? It is. It is. So Clark Atlanta University had a five-year program where I could get my bachelor's and master's in computer science within five years. And I have to admit, when I first got there, staying more than four years was never really my goal. Because I think when I went into college, you know, most people were focused on getting in and getting out in four years. And that was the measure of success at the time. And, you know, Ultimately, when I had conversations with my instructors and I talked to my parents, we just realized that there were more opportunities that I would have if I actually went and got that that master's degree. And so I decided to do it all at Clark Atlanta University. I mean, there were so many things that were going well for me there. I was being challenged. I was learning a lot and I was really exposed to a lot of things. So I decided to pursue my master's at Clark Atlanta. Yeah, definitely. It was a great experience. Clark Atlanta at the time was a center for academic excellence in national security studies. And I was a part of that program at Clark Atlanta and it was funded by the government. They wanted us to understand some of the risks associated with security and, and, and how that affected the digital space. And so through that program, I was able to travel overseas to Turkey to, to have some cultural immersion in a different country, which was great. And I, I stayed there for maybe 12 days with a group of students um, from the Atlanta University Center. And ultimately, a lot of these opportunities, just being able to go abroad, being able to experience things in different workspaces and, and understand what types of problems computer scientists would be solving for the future was something that, that I found very valuable. And, and all of that is because of my time at Clark Atlanta. Wow. I mean, that's dope. I really didn't know that Clark had all of that going on. I knew that they had the dual degree program. Morehouse had a a similar thing. I went to to Morehouse College where you could go in and you could get like a computer science, computer engineering kind of degree. So I knew that that dual degree program existed, which is great. I don't know if a lot of other schools anywhere really have that where you can go in for five years and come out with two degrees. But even just the part about the government funding and all that, I had no idea that that even existed. That's great. Definitely. I mean, there were just a number of opportunities. And I mean, we could take classes at other universities and in schools. I even took a class at Spelman College, which was about video game design. And so there were a number of opportunities we had to take classes within other schools and universities in the Atlanta University Center. And even I know some people in my in my field took classes at Georgia Tech as part of our, our joint programs. So I think there were a number of opportunities that that I had at Clark Atlanta, and I would definitely recommend those looking for college to to consider, you know, sometimes private or smaller schools, even HBCUs that are great for this type of building. Yeah, it sounded like Clark really kind of prepared you once you once you got out there in the working world, you had a really stable foundation. Definitely, definitely. So talk about your early career. I know, you know, right now you mentioned that you're at Fjord, but after you graduated from Clark Atlanta, where did you go after that? Right. So when I decided to get my master's um, at Clark Atlanta, because we were funded by the government for this program, I ended up getting a scholarship to continue my master's there. And that scholarship was a government scholarship. So 
immediately after college, I worked for the government and it was a requirement as part of the program to work for the government for at least two and a half years. And, you know, that was the scholarship requirement for my master's degree. And so what I ended up doing was moving to Maryland after college. It was great because I had a job, but I didn't really know too many people in Maryland. Um, I had a, a couple of friends from from college that were from the DMV area. So I knew a few people, but it wasn't necessarily what I thought I would be doing after college, but that's where my career path started. So mm -hmm. I, I came out, I worked for the government. I was doing a lot of design and development, um, front-end development, and it was really interesting. And I, I think ultimately that experience, I was there for maybe four years or so working for the Department of Defense. And I think that experience really ignited my passion for user experience design and interaction design even more because I worked in an office where they were solving some pretty challenging technical problems in a space that I had never really been <laughs> involved in before. And ultimately, I was working on a team of maybe five uh, front-end designers and developers, and we were servicing an office of maybe 50 people. <laughs> and it was interesting because, you know, in those days, we would have considerations. We would have hey, here's some specific features we want to add to this tool. Here's what we want to add to the front end. Here's some capabilities that we want to add to this process. And that would be our task. And we would go and we would add those features or capabilities to the tool suite. But what I started recognizing was that as we added things, yes, they worked programmatically. Yes, they addressed the concerns that we were asked to address. However, I would see some frustration because we worked in the same office as the users. And it was really interesting at the time for me because I would see some frustration. We would put out a new release and the users would start using it. And immediately it's like, hey, well, this used to work this way or why doesn't this work like this? And so a lot of my job really became understanding what their issues were and really understanding how to address that through design. And so I mentioned Nielsen Norman Group usability week i convinced my boss at the time to send me to that <laughs> to that conference mm -hmm. it was hosted in dc for a week and i really went and learned how to paper prototype i learned how to conduct and moderate usability studies i i learned a ton of things that really helped me in the office space learn how we could make better solutions for our for our users because sometimes it's not enough to just make something that works you really have to make something that is effective in, in helping the user do what they're trying to do in a better way and, and something that they enjoy using. And so that's something that, that really sparked my passion for, for interaction design. And, and I'm so glad I had that opportunity. So after that time when you're working for the government, you transitioned back into the private sector. You worked for a few companies, eventually ending up where you are now. As you look back at it, what are kind of the differences in going from working for the government and doing that design for Department of Defense to working now for these private sector companies doing, you know, kind of the same thing. Right, right. So I honestly find that the major difference is what you're working on, the type of work you're doing. And every piece of work, every piece of software, every website, every app that, that I touch, regardless of who the employer is, it all affects and impacts a user. And so I find that the user groups can be very different. Um, in the government, you have a specific user group. You have a lot of, you know, PhD mathematicians and, and engineers. 
And, you know, maybe in the private sector, you're, you're working with a different type of user. But ultimately, it's all about understanding who that user is, what are their main goals, what are they trying to accomplish, and how can I design solutions that are thoughtful and, and address any of the concerns that they have. So it's really about the difference in user. Yes, the environments are different. Yes, <laughs> there's more casual environments. There's stricter environments. There's these types of considerations. But ultimately, when you're thinking about designing in these environments, it's really about the user, who that person is, and, and understanding what it is they're looking for. So walk me through like what an average day is like for you now. You're, you're at Fjord, which we mentioned earlier. What kind of work are you doing there on like a daily basis? Right, right. So Fjord is a digital design agency, and, and ultimately, it is the heart of design at Accenture. And so it's, it's interesting because, you know, we work with a really huge company that is all over the world and, and Fjord has offices and studios all over the world as well. And so ultimately, a typical day is full of collaboration. <laughs> so there's understanding client needs. I typically come into a project, try to understand what the client needs. What are they really looking for? What types of solutions will impact them and their users in the best way? So I'd say there's a lot of upfront research and just conducting interviews with the client, understanding what it is they're looking for, talking to their users, seeing what types of systems currently exist in their workspace, understanding what type of environments they work in, which I think is another thing that's really important, understanding just the entire ecosystem of of the the problem space and also, you know, what realm should the solution be in? Are, are we designing for web? Is that the best way to handle the issues that we're seeing? Are we creating an app? Are we just creating a proof of concept to show that something is possible that the client may not have thought of? Initially, I'd say there's a lot of research in the day and, and collaborating. And once you get that research, there's a lot of brainstorming. So I work on teams with really smart people and we all come together and, and we, we pretty much have our own ways of thinking, but we all come together and we're able to kind of get that all out on a whiteboard. We use a lot of sticky notes. It's, it's funny, but we post a lot of ideas. We sketch a lot of ideas. We draw them out. And, and ultimately, we're taking those ideas. We're presenting them back to the client. We're trying to make sure that we're in, in the right path and we're, we're designing something that, that really works. So a lot of collaboration, a lot of brainstorming. Like I said, there's a lot of tools that I use on a daily basis, Sketch being one of them the Adobe Creative Suite. There's just Envision to create prototypes that the client and user can see and almost that we can test with as well. So there's a, a ton of tools involved in the process. But ultimately, typical day for me is researching and understanding the problem space, collaborating to come up with new ideas, and then also presenting back to the client the ideas that we're coming up with. And pretty much every day has a collection of a lot of those events in it. Now, I've got a question here. This is from... Uh... Antoinette, who is one of our listeners here, and she mentioned that Fjord has a lot of locations across the globe, which you kind of just alluded to. Her question is, do you work with clients across the globe? And if so, what are some of the considerations that you found you need to take when designing digital experiences for those outside of your city and or country? Right, right. Okay, so definitely we work with clients across the globe. I remember one one call I had to have with someone in Hong Kong and it was really interesting just to, you know, be able to work with people and collaborate with people all across the globe in different time zones all the time. And so I think biggest consideration I look at is trying to understand that culture because when you're designing, you really have to get an understanding like I said of the user and 
there's a lot of diversity in the world. There's a lot of different cultures in the world and understanding that something that, you know, may be appropriate or acceptable in our culture may not be appropriate or acceptable in another culture. And so I think there's a lot of cultural considerations that that come into play when you're thinking about design and you're trying to design a system. A lot of times on our teams, we have content designers. And so they're thinking about the words we're using to tell our story. They're thinking about those sorts of experiences. And that's something that that really comes into play when you're thinking about designing for different cultures as well. Everyone speaks differently. There's different language has an interesting way way of working. So there's a lot of things that we need to take into consideration with maybe colors that we use. Some colors are not appropriate in Eastern cultures and it may be appropriate in Western cultures. Those colors may relay different messages. And so it's all to me about the storytelling and what elements you can and cannot use to tell that story in whatever environment you're in. That's interesting. I wonder, does Fjord have like some kind of a, I don't know, like a cultural liaison that kind of helps you all make sure that you don't make those kinds of mistakes, like you said, with the color psychology and language and stuff like that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a ton of resources that we have access to. And one of the things we leverage a lot is each other. I mean, we have studios all over the world and we're able to quickly get in contact with other studios to to ask some of these questions. One thing Fjord is really good at is they have an event called Equinox. And Equinox is where they bring all of our studios together all across the world. And we meet and pretty much have workshopping. We network with each other and we learn from each other. So there's a lot of presentations. There's a lot of things that, that like, like we're talking about now that you learn while you're in Equinox. And last year was great because we actually all gathered in Berlin, Germany. So mm-hmm. I got to go to Berlin for you know a week and, and meet. I met people from our London studio, from our Paris studio, from studios in South America, just everywhere, Brazil. And yeah. so it was great to just really get to collaborate and, and, and learn from you know the work that they're doing in their studios. And so I think Fjord is really great about understanding that we work in a, a, a global society and understanding that there's things we can learn from each other and, and they bring us together once a year. And we also have access to each other the entire year, you know, through all of our collaboration. So, so I, I think they do a great job with that in making sure that we're kind of aware about what's going on in other places and, and able to learn about other cultures. Berlin just sounds like, like a dope city to visit. We've, we've had two people on the show who are in Berlin, uh, Timmy Adeyemi and Lauren Dorman. Both of them hearing them speak about how great Berlin is, how it's a very kind of you know, cosmopolitan, metropolitan city. I want to, I want to go one day. I just want to see what it's like. Oh yeah. It was, it was (laughs) definitely amazing. I mean, I like to travel, so I I go to a lot of places, but Berlin and Germany had, I had heard good things about it, but it wasn't really, you know, the highest place on my list to go. And so when I went, I was, I was completely, you know, floored with all of the activities that were there, all of the things we were able to learn. And then, you know, just seeing what was happening in Berlin itself. I mean, it's such an artsy city. There's there's art everywhere. Yeah. And just seeing, you know, how the city was and it, just being open to that and seeing that was great. And while we were there, we actually got to go to Fjord's Berlin studio. So it was it was cool to kind of see their working space and, and how they work every day. Nice. Well, let's Come back stateside. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll go from Berlin to Austin, which is where, where you're located at. What is, what's the creative scene like for you there? What's it like in Austin? So Austin is growing a lot. <laughs> so there's a lot of traffic now. <laughs> and it's funny because a lot of people who have lived here for a very long time, 
they recognize it and and they're happy that you know people love Austin but the traffic is definitely something that that everyone talks about and, and makes fun of but really it's it's a growing city so there's a ton of tech companies coming here there's a lot of startup activity here and so it's 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 a really creative environment it's a really great environment for a designer to start i mean ultimately there's just endless possibilities of the number of things you can do in a number of companies that that are here um, looking for design talent. So I think there's a lot to learn in in Austin. Austin is growing and there's still a lot of growth for Austin um, to do. But I think as a city, it, it's really a great environment. Yeah, I've only been to Austin for South by Southwest. When in 2010, I went in 2015. Eh, I don't know. I guess I need to go when it's not South by Southwest because it's just so many people. It's so difficult to kind of really get around now because there's no, I, I don't think there's Uber or Lyft there anymore. So it's a little harder to get around, at least during South by because there's so many people. Oh, yeah. But, but I, hear, I hear Austin, though, is a, is a pretty dope city. Yeah, it's it's an interesting city, and I mean, we we finally have <laughs> Uber and Lyft back. So oh well, that, hey, that's good. So that's that's good, good. Then all right. So that helps with with getting around during South by, but but with South by, even that, I mean, half of it is is music, and and it's a great you know experience for people to come in and see their favorite artists, and then there's a half of it that's about you know technology and innovation, and and I think that's a really really good thing to see as well. So you get to see you know. Who are the up and coming filmmakers? You know, what kind of technology is really important right now? And so I think it's an entire experience that that really showcases a lot of the talent that that we have here in this city. And then a lot of talent from, you know, around the world come too to 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 learn and, and teach us as well. Okay. So with everything that you're doing here, again, I can I can really see that you've got this uh this drive and this passion for interaction design. But who have been some of the the mentors or people who have really kind of helped you out along the way to get where you are now? Wow. So, I mean, I would definitely have to start with my parents because I think they pushed me. And I think that was great that they pushed me because it ultimately exposed me to levels of myself that I do not think I would have been exposed to before or even tried to, to find. And so just, you know, helping me understand you know, how can I apply the things that, that I like to do? Because from a very early age, I really had a passion for helping people. And so initially, you know, when I was um, in high school, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And so we had a medical academy um, as well where I could learn things of that nature. And so I, I had applied to that and I got into that. But then at some point I realized that I didn't really like the sight of blood. So being a doctor <laughs> probably was not going to be <laughs> something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so that's when I really started getting into the information technology and that technology academy that I mentioned. And so I think my parents just really helped me um, explore, you know, what I like to do, which was helping people and explore how I can apply that in different in different spaces. And so when I really started seeing that, hey, you know, I like this digital graphics course and I like coding and I like these types of things, how can I use all of these things to help people? And, you know, when I started finding out about user experience design, I was really excited because I felt like it was the perfect marriage of, of bringing all of those things that I really like to do and was really passionate about together in the same position. What advice has, has stuck with you over the years? What advice has stuck with me over the years? Wow. So I think the best advice that I've received, and it's, it's, there's, there's a ton of ways that I think it's been stated to me, 
but ultimately it's to be confident and understand yourself. So I think to be the best interaction designer or the best in any field <laughs> that, that you're in, I think ultimately you have to have a great understanding of yourself. You need to know what your strengths are. You need to know what your weaknesses are and what you should work on. And when you have a knowledge of those things, you're able to go into any environment, you're able to easily learn, you're able to easily collaborate, and you're really able to, to easily teach as well. Because I, I, think, I think part of being well-rounded is knowing how to learn from other people and then knowing also how to teach other people the things that you've learned along your way. So I'd say there's, there's a quote that I heard, actually. Um, I'm from Houston, so Felicia Rashad and Debbie Allen are both from Houston. Um, one is okay. an actress and one is a dancer. And they were giving an interview one time um, about things they learned from their mother at a very early age. So I think their mother taught them affirmations. And they were saying that one of the affirmations that they learned was the inner reality creates the outer form. And so to me, when I heard it, it really stuck with me because I think that ultimately – you have to know who you are internally and, and you have to know those things because that's who you become externally. So, so whatever, whatever you believe about yourself is, is ultimately what will become true and what other people will believe about you. And so I think the best advice is just to be confident, to know yourself and to really move forward in the world, you know, ready to learn, ready to teach and, and ready to grow. And that's, that's really the best advice that I think anyone can give. <laughs> now, I also want to mention this. You know, when I was doing my research and everything for this interview, I could see that you are super into photography. I'm really curious to know kind of what drew you into that, because it feels like that's something very different from interaction design. See, it's it's funny. So I, I am very interested in photography. And initially, I thought it was something that was very different than interaction design. But I've I've started finding a lot of designers that that have photography as as a passion on the side as well. So for me, I think that being a great photographer and being a great interaction designer have ultimately worked hand in hand. And I'll explain why. <laughs> you know, when, when you go into interaction design, I think I've, I've become really good at, at researching and really good at, at talking to people and understanding people. And some of that comes from the photography and, and that background, because you really have to be able to walk into a shoot and, and work with someone you've never met before and really get a level of intimacy with that person to where you can create an image that really reflects who they are as a person. And it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time to get to that place. But I, I find that because I've learned how to do that effectively and, and quickly, I'm able to walk into a user interview or a stakeholder interview. And, and there's just this level of comfort that, that I find the clients and, and also the, the users have with me to where they're really open and they really show me who they are and what they're looking for. And because of that, I'm really able to deliver ideas that reflect exactly what it is they're looking for because of that, that comfort they have to really be open and upfront and honest with me. And so I, I find that because I've learned how to do that in photography, so I get a true reflection of the essence of the person that I'm shooting. I think that in my interaction design career, it's, it's really just helped me become very effective at, at understanding people and being able to really get that information from them so that I can deliver something to them that, that they'll ultimately be really happy with. Interesting. So it kind of builds like a complementary skill in a way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think I've really evolved in the past, you know, 10 to 12 years or so. I mean, I think in college I was I was 
definitely a shyer person and not as open as I am today. And I, I just feel that because of photography and because I'm placed in these situations where I'm meeting people from different backgrounds who are different, very you know, all the time. And, and you, you know, you have to work with them and collaborate with them so quickly. I just feel like I've, I've kind of grown out of that shyness and I'm, I'm definitely more extroverted (laughs) than I think I have ever been in my life because of it. So it just really helps in an environment in both photography and, and interaction design where you're meeting and helping people from very diverse backgrounds with varying skill sets all the time. I mean, that's that's your job to really understand people. And I think it's it's really helped. So it's definitely a complimentary skill set. Nice. So with everything that you're doing right now, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like what kind of work do you want to be doing? Let's see, this is what, 2018? What kind of work do you want to be doing in 2023, like five years from now? Wow. So I definitely see myself so I, I love photography, so I, I definitely still see myself taking pictures all the time. And also I see myself, you know, I think in a more leadership capacity. So something that's always been really important to me is mentorship. I think I learned it because when I was in college, I interned at IBM in Austin, actually. Um, so college in Atlanta and then interning in Austin at IBM you know, for two summers. And one thing that they are really great about is giving everyone a mentor when they come on board. And so even as an intern, you know, I was given a mentor and we had weekly meetings. We caught up for lunch sometimes. And, you know, he was really able to kind of help me understand what opportunities were available. And so for me, I think leadership is something that's really important, you know, just becoming the type of person that that can learn from other people, but also teach other people, because I think there's a lot of things that I've that I've learned over the years and, you know, guide people, help people see what exists. Technology is changing so quickly. And, you know, in five or six or seven years, there could be a completely different job title or a completely different career path that that someone could take. So I I don't even know what what careers or jobs could exist in, in five to seven years because things are changing so quickly. So I just think it's really important you know, to have that mentor, to have somebody there that can kind of expose you to the to the thinking and, and the practices and, and those sorts of things, because that's ultimately what is going to prepare you for whatever changes happen in the industry. Well, Marcus, just to kind of wrap things up here, uh, where can our audience find out more about you and your work and everything you're doing online? Cool. So, yeah, to find out more about me, definitely look at my LinkedIn. And my LinkedIn address is www.linkedin.com slash in slash I'm John Marcus. That's I-M-J-O-H-N-M-A-R-C-U-S. And so that's where everyone can find out about me. If you want to see my photography work, I'm also on Instagram. So that's Instagram.com slash I'm John Marcus. And yeah, I mean, there's links everywhere associated with me on in both of those places. So Feel free to send me a message. Feel free to to chat with me more. I'd welcome that. All right. Sounds good. Well, Marcus Mosby, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thank you for really just kind of sharing your passion about interaction design, which I think is super important. And really, you know, showing how it's it's guided your life. I mean, you know, from studying at Clark to now the work that you're doing at Fjord and hopefully beyond that, it's really I think important to see that even coming from an HBCU, that this kind of education, of course, is is available. I didn't even know that. That's probably the most shocking thing that I got <laughs> from the interview. But no, it's just really great to see that you're out here 
really doing your thing and showcasing your passion. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Marcus Mosby and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Marcus and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. With a community of over 2 billion people, the design team at Facebook works on a diverse range of problems. Everything that Facebook designs is done at scale, so research, content strategy, data, and other factors are a huge part of how they work. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Now, if you've seen Glitch, you might think that it looks like a toy, but let me tell you, it's not. Aside from me, of course, knowing the Glitch team and the engineers and the developers behind it, I can tell you it runs on the exact same infrastructure and engine that the best developers in the world use to run their apps. Not only that, it's all built around a super friendly community of coders, designers, developers, artists, activists, educators. I mean, basically people just like you. So get started on making something awesome today at glitch.com. Google Design is a cooperative effort led by designers, writers, and developers at Google. They work across teams to publish original content, produce great events, and foster creative and educational partnerships that advance both design and technology. For more information on news, design resources, and their design podcasts, check them out at design.google. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers to design podcasts like this one. (laughs) They also support the creative community as well. I mean, you name a big design event, MailChimp is right there. MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It helps more people learn about the show, not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. Um, It helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings on Apple Podcasts for design shows. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.